Broadcasting live from your heart, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible women talk about horror. My name's Louisa, and I'm joined by my lovebirds, Mila, Taya, and Zeba. And this is our Valentine's Day special. But before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify and or subscribe to us on YouTube and the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. We will begin with the 1981 film Possession, directed by Andrzej Zuofsky. We will then move on to the 1995 film Vampire in Brooklyn, directed by Wes Craven. Finally, we will be talking about the 2014 film Spring, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Get ready to crush on this episode because we will be discussing love, sex, relationships, and, as always, the representation of women. Enjoy! So we reached out to the people of Instagram, our lovely followers, to send in their horrific dating stories. So the first individual, this is a quote. It's crazy how you were born in 1997, because I remember 1997. End of date. Wait, so they were old? I'm assuming they were old. They were They remembered it well. Oh, that can still be fun. I feel like I can remember like 2002. (laughs) I'm not old. (laughs) Okay, but are you dating somebody who was born in 2002? I think that's the, like, caveat. They'd be, like, 18. That's not old enough. No, it's not. It's not old enough. Because, like, I talked to someone recently who was 20, and they are like, I was born in 2000, and I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> I was, like, so freaked out by that. I think it gets weird, like, when you get into the 2000s. As long as it's still in the mm, 90s, it doesn't yeah. feel weird. Like, even 99 doesn't feel too weird but when you start getting like 2000 2001 it just feels weird <laughs> that's true gen z as well if we're all like what are we Zillennials? zillennials oh my gosh people born in 2000 are gonna be 21 this year child is crazy it's absolutely crazy i guess in hindsight then that's not even a big age gap because i'm 25 that actually isn't as big of an age gap as i thought but still it just feels weird men be like i was born in 19 47 but my wife is born in 99 and that is normal (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i guess that would be kind of awkward but why didn't they know their age before the date or did they know and maybe like it just became i do not have additional information (laughs) the next story i didn't quite understand this one when i read it and i want you to translate wanted to go home after a date so he said i spend too much time with that ugly dog He's jealous of the dog. Wait, she or they have a dog. And they said, you spend too much time with that dog. Let me come over. Or I'll read it again. So I wanted to go home after a date. So he said, I spend too much time with that ugly dog. Oh, so it's her dog. No, because I think the I in that instance is the guy. Oh, so it's his dog. Yeah, I'm confused. Does he have an ugly I dog? Love ugly dogs. Or is she is he calling is he calling her an ugly dog? I bet the person who sent this in is gonna listen to us try to decipher this and be like, damn, they're dumb. <laughs> yeah, correct. I, you are yeah, I can only apologize. <laughs> yeah. Reach out, clarify. Okay, next one. Drug dealer boyfriend from rural Pennsylvania faked his death and joined the circus and didn't tell me till after. No. <laughs> There's too much to unpack in this. What's more shocking about the scenario is that I didn't know you could join the circus still. Like, I thought it was more of an underground thing. <laughs> I haven't been to the circus in so long. This isn't my bad date story, but I had a roommate once. 
And she went on a date with a dude or whatever. And they hooked up after the date. And when we woke up, our TV was gone. <laughs> okay. To convince me to come over and fuck him during the pandemic, a guy on Grinder said, We can both wear masks and be safe, baby. He had such a nice Irish accent, I almost did it. <laughs> I feel this one. <laughs> I'm imagining, like, Connell from Normal People talking. I'm like, if he had the chain, I would really be tempted. The chain? Yeah, he's got that, like, short chain. It's kind of hot, but not on a white boy. Okay, I was not <laughs> following with what you meant there. I was like, you mean, like, handcuffs? <laughs> oh, God, no. Have y'all heard about, um, there was, I forget, it was, it was a government official that was like, hey, glory holes are, like, a great way to have safe sex during the pandemic. Just make one out of a shower curtain, like, cut a hole in it, and then you can be uh, separated by the plastic. I remember this. So this is two separate stories from the same person. So one of them is, my boyfriend accidentally sent a message meant for his other flirt to me, clown face. And then the second one, I shat myself during (gasps) sex after our first date. That's terrible. (gasps) Was it anal? Um, No. And the reason I know (laughs) is because I know know this individual. (laughs) (laughs) So why did they poop? What did they eat before? Was it Chipotle or Taco Bell? This person, (laughs) we are always talking about how like um just like shot to hell their digestive system is so any like anytime you'd see them it'd be like (laughs) they'll talk about like shame themselves that's just the norm they got like ibs or some shit it's undiagnosed at this point in time but i might have to suggest a visit to the doctor actually this story is like so on brand for this person yeah that would be like my one of my worst nightmares yeah that is that is I don't think that's my worst nightmare because I, I feel like my worst no. nightmare is something that I could see happening and I I just don't see that ever happening. <laughs> yeah. I feel like shitting in the bedroom is pretty common if you do anal. I yeah, think I was we need say. to yeah, destigmatize. That's, true. that's why yeah, I asked, yeah. was it anal? I was like, is it anal? Because then, okay. But not anal, it's... I think when you're doing anal, you go into it with the knowledge that something might happen and everyone's in agreement that like... You're prepared. Yeah. There's a code. I have such a deep fear of poo. I mean, fecal matter has so much <laughs> bacteria yeah, in it. Yeah, that's valid. Julia Kristeva is backing you up here. Why did you say that as if it was going to be like a secret? You're like, I have such a big fear. You know what I hate? <laughs> <laughs> fecal matter. <laughs> oh my god, that's so like, weird. Like, you mean the abject thing that everyone fucking hates? <laughs> okay, so the next one we have. I went on a date with a flat earther who asked if I wanted the other ticket for the flat earth cruise. There's a cruise? It goes all around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, that's what they're trying to find the edge of the earth. So they're all, they all chipped in for a cruise and they're so brave. They're going to sail over the edge. Like they are braver than the Marines. Stop. And they're braver than the Marines. <laughs> Stop it. This is the best news I've heard ever. <laughs> so this person asked them on a date, do you want to basically fall off the earth with me? That would have got me. Yeah. That sounds like a marriage proposal. That was definitely a Pisces or a lesbian who did that. I mean, yeah. I was going to say I was. I want a high stakes date, but now I feel called out. So I'm just going to keep quiet. Okay. Last one. This one's, this is a story. Oh God. <laughs> this has got three acts. <laughs> Let's call them the love witch. Here we go. 
There was this ridiculously gorgeous guy at the med school I went to. Charming, funny, wanted by all. We were good friends and flirted a couple of times. Then we went on a date. It was great until we got back to his flat. Here's where I should mention that I'm Jewish, but not practicing. And he was raised Catholic. His kink was bending me over his lap and spanking me whilst asking me to confess my sins and calling me a dirty heathen. It was the single weirdest sexual encounter of my life, but I couldn't tell people because it was such a brag to have shagged the guy and I didn't want to tarnish That's it. so lol. true. Yeah. Also, just want to clarify, I'm very into kink and don't like to kink shame, but... It was very out of the blue with zero warning. And it was super obvious that the Jewish thing was a motivator for him. Oh my God. I want to say you won because you did get the guy and get to brag about it. And no one has to know what happened in the interim. But at the same time, you also won because you got a story. But you mostly lost because of the anti-Semitism. So... (laughs) Yeah. In conclusion. <laughs> but you also won because now now you get a shout out. Witch of the week. Yeah, there you go. Congratulations to our witch of the week this week, guys. Witch of the week. The love witch. The love witch is our witch of the week. The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so go ahead and leave us a five-star review and write us a little love letter. And if you have a crush on us, what better time to tell us than Valentine's Day? And if you do, you just might get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. So our Witch of the Week this week is obviously the Love Witch, because honestly, I'm so sorry you had to endure that. But thank you for sharing. Procession, directed by Andrzej Zawotsky, begins with Anna telling her husband Mark she's leaving him and their small son. What follows is a twisted story of adultery, monsters, and separation. You know, love isn't something you could just switch from channel to channel. I have your letters, my love. Trust me, you're at all the time you are fucking your ass off. You want me to believe her? Oh, yes! A monster before. I fuck her on with everybody. Whenever you tell her, her I fuck her on with everybody! I want on every corner! You will let me go! Literally, my first note was to just check in with you because I am very very concerned that you picked this film the whole time i was watching i was i was lost you know that like tiktok that's like fair enough i'm a little lost but fair enough that was like my (laughs) headspace the whole time when watching it and i was just like uh we should talk about what versions we watched too because i'm pretty sure we didn't watch all the same versions i watched the vhs strip copy from Vimeo and it I wish it had captions I was watching with my friend and they were like is this in French like I'm not convinced this is an English one and they're also always screaming like they're at a 10 at no point does conflict escalate it stays at a 10 and it never (laughs) comes down from like I think my first note is the first scene is abuse and my last note is every scene was abuse. It's interesting you say that because I um because I remember reading for Stranger Things um <laughs> Winona Ryder like said to be Joyce to be like that strung out all the time it was like really exhausting so then I was like this actress must have been exhausted and then sure enough apparently it took years of therapy for the actress to recover from the role and there was a rumor that she attempted suicide after it. And I was like, I'm not surprised. This was, this looked exhausting. I was exhausted watching it. So I can't imagine filming it. 
I feel like this movie is what would have happened if Noah Baumbach didn't make Madagascar 3 after his divorce. This movie is if Marriage Story and Splice had a baby. Neither of They those... should have aborted. Yeah, they shouldn't have had the baby. It got weird quickly. Here's the thing. When I read the description, I was I was on board. Like, there's so many classic, <laughs> like, love triangles. I can imagine how, like, a cuckold situation would, would lead, ensue in horror. But it just, I don't know what I anticipated. But, like, I was really on board with the plot. And then it became about not what it was about so quickly. Like, the, I don't remember, the, the man she's having the affair with, he... He wants out at, at like, midway through the movie. So I'm like, where could this possibly be going? You were being led towards octopus sex, I'm sure. Subconsciously. I was looking at some, like, the reviews of it, and it was, like, funny. Because um, I, I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what to think. I'm going to read some of what other people thought. In the village voice, they just said, it isn't necessarily good, but it is most definitely something. <laughs> I was like, Yeah. And then another one, which was uh, in The Quietest, they're summarizing other reviews, but they were like, Possession has been read as a visceral supernatural horror flick in which a woman fucks an octopus. I mean, that is, that is it. Part of me maybe regrets not prepping you for this film. (laughs) I'm kind of glad you didn't. Yeah, I liked going in blind. I don't know if watching it blind is necessarily the best way because if I had warned you, I think you would have enjoyed it more. And not in like a, it wouldn't have like swayed your opinion of its quality, but it's more enjoyable because you're like prepared for the absolute madness that it is. Like now that I've watched it a few times, um, the first time I was like, what the fuck? didn't understand it was pretty much just like endured it for the sake of watching Samuel (laughs) and then when I watched it again I really enjoyed it because I found I was able to laugh at it quite a lot um but also equally be pretty disturbed which I love great pairing laughter and disturbance I thought that uh the teacher and his wife looking and like kind of reminded me of Vertigo and like at the end when the teacher is like raising the sun that they forgot they had the entire movie I thought it felt sort of like Vertigo in a sense of like the extended punishment by performing the role of the woman that he was absolutely obsessed with even though like they could have been the same person it kind of felt very similar to that like the performance of a certain woman, the obsession, the revenge. I think they kind of have like similar tone. What did you guys think of what the doppelgangers mean and such? What was your interpretation of that? Watching it without reading up on any sort of background knowledge, I understood it as sort of like doubles of themselves that served a purpose for each spouse. Mm -hmm. So like their ideal versions of each other and that's like probably quite a classic use of doppelgangers or doubles Mm -hmm. well maybe more it's like the evil version of themselves that's true because like dorian gray i always just think of that example like it's sort of the evil manifestation of that person but here it's more like their emotional needs embodied in that other double but if you look more like towards the like social context of the film like the Berlin Wall 80s bit of a rabbit hole down into like a divided nation well you basically said like what the research I could find was because like I said I was hell-bent on discovering Mm. what the fuck this meant yeah yeah you begs you to google what the fuck's going on I was like I hate it I hate it I hate it I hate it and then I finished it and I was like oh I like it (laughs) 
<laughs> that was wow. my experience. <laughs> I did not I did not reach that point of liking it yet. Same. But I think because I I did watch it blind and then research it. Mm-hmm. But like for me, the Cold War metaphor only worked because he was a spy or like participating in espionage. Beyond that, I thought like their location in the time period wasn't enough for me to make that association, especially with the doppelganger point. Like I thought it was the perfect spouse, especially because if you're going to call this a horror movie, there are established like sort of norms of like how those things are used. So I don't know if at the point that this movie came out, if doppelgangers had that association or like evil clones or evil twins, if that had been a trope yet. But because of that, watching it, I it, I assigned that role to those characters. And then only after I did the research, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I can kind of see how this was a political commentary. But it just they didn't comment enough on their position in the world for it to be important like he was a spy but they didn't talk about it enough for like i don't want them to hit me over the head with it but at the same time i thought it was a little too too subtle (laughs) yeah i agree with zeba um i don't know if you guys have seen the movie cold war that came out a few years ago but it's also a polish film but it's not a horror film but i feel like that is like my standard for divorce and separation movies during the cold war or like reunification of Germany period it just I don't know it felt like more political and there was a lot more commentary on how the location affected things but this one just didn't really talk about it it was I don't know like I wanted to associate the the thing that she was having sex with the squid creature with like oh maybe it's like deformed because of all the bombs and all the stuff that went on but I mean, even that just didn't feel like it could really be a connection. So yeah, I, I don't really, I don't know. I didn't feel like it was enough. I feel like this is one of those films that everyone loves to analyze in retrospect. Um, but then I'm a sucker for that. So <laughs> I did not dislike it. So what did you guys think of other interpretations of the monster? Because I read some wacky ones, like the BFI website was like, it erupted from her own id. Uh, another website, oh. another website, like in The Quietest, was like, it's her, it's Anna's deepest fantasy, and she might actually be empowered. Or you could interpret it alternatively as like, a misogynistic punishment to an unfaithful wife. Um, or if you're going to link it to like... Um, Again, like more context is like the corpses that that generation like the because the the squid thing is like this monster decaying, gross whatever, and it like feeds on other people's bodies. So it might be like a metaphor of just like the sheer trauma of that generation, according to the Quietus. But why is it a squid? I don't know, man. I don't know. Carlo Ribaldi, who is the special effects guy that did Alien and E.T. worked on this film. And I didn't know that until this time I watched it because I was looking at like IMDb trivia. And once you know that, you're like, it makes sense. (laughs) He has a vibe, (laughs) he runs with it. So I I don't think the actual makeup of the monster, the creature is that important. I don't think the form that it takes is so important. I think it's just meant to be other and alien and strange. I did see it that it was the same guy in Alien, which made me super excited. I mean, I don't know when hentai came into 
being popular. <laughs> but it was like it was before it was manga, but like like the tentacles as a replacement for a penis. Yeah, it's because it's just because they couldn't draw penises or whatever. Is that why? Yeah, that's why. It's because I never of Japan. Knew that. Yeah, there were censorship laws that you couldn't show a penis in a manga or an anime or whatever, so they used tentacles and now people just have tentacle kinks because of that. <laughs> Humans are very simple creatures. We're like, well, I guess I gotta, like, I gotta fuck tentacles now. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess this is it. I've seen it enough and now I'm okay with it. In a movie, like, when you show the monster, even if it's not, like, the central point of how it looks or whatever to the story, I think it just kind of makes it more important. Like, I think some of the best horror movies are ones where you don't see the monster because... If it's super disappointing, it just ruins it for you. And I feel like this this was part of it with this monster thing that she was having sex with. Because I was just like, what is going on? Why is this a squid creature? Like, I think the absence of showing it would have worked better. And it also would have took away the weird gore factor. Maybe just show him looking in the room and being horrified. And later bring up dialogue of like, what was that beast that you were having sex with? That's a lot more elusive and less like, this is a really badly done creature. I don't think it was badly done. I loved it. I don't think it was badly done either. I don't like the first shot of it where it looks like a plank almost kind of thing. It's got like a... the Like just through the door? No, no, no. It looks... It, it, it like zooms in on his face and his, it does look... It's like when he looks like the squid. I, I think he it looks better when it's like evolving and it's like... I mean, truly banging her at that point. But I think, like, at that point of evolution, it looks scarier. But the first shot of it, I do agree, was not nice. But I liked how it looked after. He grew on you. Not in that way. (laughs) The goriest parts to me that, like, would have got this banned in the places that it was banned were, like, I guess maybe the tentacle thing, but also the what appeared to be a miscarriage in the train station. That was a lot. I fast forwarded through that. I didn't enjoy it. And I didn't know why it was happening. And it made me upset. It was gross. Like, that was the also the part that made me think this woman better have been paid, like, so much for doing this film. Because that's horrific. I think I read in an interview that she was told to act like she was fucking the air or something for that. Yeah, that was his direction. To fuck the but, air. But, like, for a miscarriage? That's a really weird direction. I think like, it was it was like pre miscarriage. Still, it's a strange direction. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I mean, I can't yeah. argue with it. Monstrous womb vibes in this from that um, miscarriage scene. I think that was the most abject thing I've seen, perhaps yeah. in a horror movie. Like uh, we talked a lot about it with body horror, and then it was the context of I guess like rotting or corpses or things. But like I don't. A miscarriage is just so rough. It's, and I feel the same way about, like, American Horror Story season one. Like, fetuses and, like, things that, like, have come out of a body. Like, like the intro to season one for Murder House when there's, like... Or or even just, like, blood clotting or just, Ugh. like... Ugh, that makes me think of I May Destroy You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah! <laughs> Put it down. Like, Ty, what you were saying about, like, sometimes it's scarier not to see the thing. In this instance, it was like, in most movies, we talk about miscarriage and we don't see it. In this, it was like, oh, oh, it was scarier to see it. I didn't want to see it. I mean, to be fair, you don't ooze goo out your ears. I didn't 
didn't understand because she said that she miscarried like she was like oh two sisters fighting what was it there's chance and there's faith and she said i miscarried faith and i was like does that mean like i was curious about the role of god and religion in this because they they make so many random obscure references that i didn't could not piece together like any consistent like meaning from it but yeah so i was like if maybe this is like some sort of like confronting god like this weird monster asexual thing that's capable of like spontaneous creation and if she miscarried faith it's kind of like straying away from your traditional conception of religion that was what i could gather from it that definitely makes sense i know this film isn't the most logical (laughs) but that's the part that i haven't quite been able to like form my own idea about and i think it needs like a proper like screenplay analysis because it's a whole like soliloquy that she talks about sister chance sister faith and i just like don't get it write the essay i want to read it I don't want to to write that. That line kind of makes me think of, I'm watching the show The Stand right now and there's a character and she's basically meant to carry the child of Satan and like be his queen. And this beast or whatever is obviously abject to everyone. And since she's carrying his child, it almost feels like maybe she realized at that moment, like her purpose was to die having the child. And so her body rejecting it was miscarrying the faith that um, she maybe previously betrayed her religion to carry this child. And so this kind of feels like a similar moment of like losing the child and your body rejecting it because it knows that you don't actually mean anything to this horrible thing that you were giving yourself to. And one of the reviews that I read from I think it was RogerEbert.com. They talked about how she feels like beauty and she's with the beast, quote unquote. And I thought that was interesting because it kind of feels like how of beauty and the beast was like not the idealized woman where Belle is sacrificing herself because her father um went off and did whatever. And so she has to basically go live with the beast <laughs> so so he doesn't keep her father's prisoner. But in this movie, Anna's leaving her family to willingly go be with the beast on her own. But because she's not sacrificing herself in a traditional sense, she's basically looked up, looked at as like this failed mother figure and this controversial adulterous woman. When I guess if it was the opposite, like her husband had some bargain where he made the squid creature angry and then she had to go live with the squid squid creature have sex with it and they would be like oh she is a noble woman who sacrificed herself for her family yeah i did wonder that i was like this film could just be like um a metaphor for adulterous women like making the adulterous woman monstrous you know like oh what would happen if it was she's having an affair and then they just make it horror um but i feel like the end then kind of it kind of means that that can't be true because not only do both of them die, but they're also <laughs> imagining like their ideal half. They both cheat. When does he cheat? He just lies in bed naked. No, no, he did not then, like precursors the film narrative that he's cheated before. Oh, I didn't realize that. 
I thought he was going to have sex with a doppelganger and then he doesn't. I mean, it's still weird cheating and weird behavior, guys. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But I was like, this is odd. This film, I mean, of course, would have worked well in our body horror episode because all of the emotional pain of this film is just focused on the body. And it like it's like watching a terrible divorce and breakup in like horrific imagery. And this is a film I would not watch if I was divorcing, divorced. It's something that I like imagine would evoke a sort of breakdown in people where they're like, it's showing all of the like most raw and disturbing things you can feel and think about someone. I'd be concerned if anyone related to this, like this, <laughs> this, the way that they were always at a 10. Like, I think that's what like I found it hard. I didn't watch it all at once. I couldn't because it. It, it never reaches a climax. It's always at a climax. And then it never de-escalates. And I don't think that that is realistic of a, of a fight, of a breakup, of a couple, of how humans interact. I watched this and then very quickly after watched Malcolm and Marie. And there are some similarities here. <laughs> I was literally just about to say that. In terms of a couple out of 10 who never get down from a 10, I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, they simmer down a bit. They laugh at their trauma and then they go back to eating crap. But they laugh at trauma they cannot be laughed at. <laughs> yeah. I feel like maybe some people have trouble making like breakup movies because they don't realize like even when you're angry with people, if you love them, you don't, I guess, want to completely wreck them. <laughs> and, like, I feel like both this movie and Malcolm Marie were like, no. I want to wreck them. I want to end them. Um, and I think that's why they don't work. Like, I think Blue Valentine and, like, Marriage Story, like, even when they, they fight, there's still some sort of reconciliation. Like, when he has that scene where everyone made fun of on Twitter, <laughs> Adam Driver, where he's like, every day I wake up and wish you were dead, like, if my son would be okay or whatever. And then he starts crying and she pets him up. Like, that is not necessarily normal but also like the coming down from it and feeling so guilty that he burst out into tears i think is more realistic than like completely monotone making up and pretending like nothing ever happened or either completely de-escalating and like continuously having the same vibe of like i want you to die the entire time i think those are um two divorce levels that are scary was the child in this movie ever in the house when they were fighting it was just like sometimes in the next room though there was there was like oh he's like outside and i was just like this poor not they they shouldn't have this kid i had a note that i was like this kid's gonna grow up funny as fuck though like <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah the more trauma the funnier you are sorry i saw a tiktok that was like if your home's not broken you can't be joking <laughs> I personally feel like uh, it for men, it really varies because like when they have mommy issues or extreme trauma, they never go to therapy. And so instead, they just take it out on the women that they date. That's true. But sometimes they think they're funny. Oh, and they never are. Their type of trauma that they can joke about is like, my dad died when I was six. Look at P Pete Davidson example. I was literally about <laughs> to say Pete Davidson, Taya, but then I thought I would get in trouble with you for saying Pete Davidson. <laughs> Their type of trauma is like, my dad died when I was six, or like, I got beat up a lot in school and someone stole my bike. It's not like my parents were having a super brutal divorce and my mom was fucking a squid creature and they both died. Like, I think that would be like serial killer trauma for to be a man. Fair, I feel like this film cannot really be compared to the likes of Blue Valentine. It is certainly not meant to be a realistic portrayal of human beings the, even their emotions like everything is and like you can dismiss it as pretentious and like just full-on bullshit 
you just gotta like go with it it's a different film every time you watch it oh god that was the most annoying answer i hate you so much for saying that (laughs) (laughs) that was white guy in a film class i cannot believe you just said that (laughs) this movie is like one of those movies that i when i watched i was like this is why people get annoyed with artsy people sometimes Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the weirdest stuff and just make it seem artsy. And if people don't get it, I'm going to make it seem like they're not cerebral enough to get it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. or maybe it just wasn't thought out. I don't know. <laughs> like everything that is inherently weird, I don't think is always an artistic decision. Sometimes I think people do weird shit just to do weird shit. And then like, but it's artsy. And like that's how this movie felt to me. And so it just felt like a pretentious explanation of a divorce. And I was not really feeling it. <laughs> yes or no is this a date movie no yes no it's gonna be a no from me i can see would be a a yes from you mila but i hope you know that the person (laughs) who you attract if they like this may not be i don't want to attract another person this is a great me date movie wow that was so feminist of you Vampire in Brooklyn, directed by Wes Craven, follows Maximilian, a vampire, and Rita, a feisty cop, unaware of her vampire lineage. Rita struggles to figure out what is causing strange visions and feelings in her life, while Max does everything in his power to get closer to her. In this horror comedy, romance and horror meet and form a quirky 90s vampire film. Hey, hey, easy, easy, bro. Hey, now, come on. You ain't got to pull that black yellow shit with me, all right? If you're hungry, I'll run you down to KFC down the street and hit you off with a two-piece. I already had to tell you. Okay, so convince me that this is not just a bad black yellow remake. It's not. (laughs) First of all, this movie was enjoyable. It is. It was genuinely funny. Blackula is camp in its purest form because it didn't intend to be bad. There are parts of this movie, I'll give it to you, that don't intend to be bad, but I would argue that the majority of it is on purpose. The Blackula lore, perhaps, there's some there's some rollover. I'll, you know, in the love story and in the, like, is she half... No, she was turned into a vampire. Half vampire, reincarnated vampire, whatever the situation is. Yeah. I don't think it's a ripoff. I think it's a uh, homage. I think it's a, a nod to a a reference, if you will. Unafraid to reference or not reference, as Lady Gaga <laughs> says. Yeah, I like this okay. a lot more than Vampire... Um, like, Vampire in Brooklyn a lot more than Blackula. I feel like Blackula, like, it was more problematic simply just because one people black people didn't have con- a lot of control over the content that they were able to produce and also it was a black exploitation film and i felt like the lore in blackula didn't appeal to me but i like this movie and i also really liked in the opening scene that it's like him coming over on a ship um which felt like a, a reference to slavery and then most of the bodies on the ship were white people um which also felt like a, a a reference to slavery because the ships would be filled uh, filled with black bodies everywhere and so i thought that was an interesting nod to reference like slavery and the lineage of black people in america and i also kind of feel like this movie in general like her not knowing that she was part vampire and like all the lore that came with her bloodline kind of feels like 
a reference to black people in America not having access to our full ancestry because of slavery. And so you don't oh, know if you're like a yeah. king or a queen or a vampire or a anything. Vampire. Like, <laughs> there's no way of knowing because there aren't records for that. There's no way you can trace back to Africa. I love this hotep propaganda, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't I didn't get I didn't get that. That makes it more interesting. Can we talk hair and makeup really quick i just want to get it out of the way okay so i understand that like eddie murphy plays like a bunch of different characters but why is it even when he's he's like playing his regular vampire self why is the makeup so bad he looks like a black person in blackface that was my first (laughs) (laughs) then okay his wig is bad i i know that there's a a point about his wig being bad. Angela's wig is also really, really bad. (laughs) And I know because she's constantly in the wind and her hairline looks like the Gorilla Glue Girl. And it's like, it doesn't move. It's stiff wear. It's really, really upsetting. Eddie Murphy transformations, like makeup transformations are always fun. It's giving Dr. Doolittle. It's giving the Nutty Professor. I liked that that was featured. But like, Angela wasn't in costume <laughs> so fix her wig it was kind of like poodly they also made her makeup like a little bit too light yeah it gave like a little some some ash to it sometimes mm-hmm. that shouldn't have been there and i was confused i feel like sometimes eddie murphy's like costuming into different characters feels like um he just take a take a step back in the same way that tyler perry shouldn't think maybe collaboration is better <laughs> than doing everything myself. Disagree. It definitely took me out of the movie in parts where I I wanted to take it seriously. I was like, I, I can't take this seriously. I read that like there was different reasons why like they thought it flopped and Eddie Murphy was like, it was the wig, <laughs> which made me die. Okay, this hairstylist also did That's So Raven. Like, <laughs> what is your excuse? <laughs> Dream Girls? Akila and the Bee? It's all hella black movies. Dr. Doolittle, they also did the Sinbad show. Wes Craven apparently blamed the film being a flop on Eddie Murphy or something, saying like it was he, he was like too committed to playing stuff too seriously and should have made it more funny or something like that. I felt like the movie had real potential to be like creepy and serious because like Eddie Murphy is a good actor. I think he's really good at doing versatile roles and he is capable of pulling off a dramatic role. I think in this sense like it started off a bit more like horror-ish and then once he got to the like I already had Italian flicks out of ear it was very obviously comedy and I was like I think that's why I didn't like it because you guys already know I, I don't really like comedies. So horror comedies, I feel like I'm never trait of I know so a horror comedy is always gonna be like a tough sell with me. Oh, I have it in my notes, Milo. Your Italians are being dragged. <laughs> I didn't realize Eddie Murphy was playing that Italian. Like whenever, like down the line in the film, and I was like, why does he do it? Just so well? never underestimate the power of early two thousands whiteface. I do wish it was a bit more serious. Cause I feel like the plot was interesting and i would have loved to see that as like an actual serious film but i mean i guess for my for my early 2090s black vampire film that i take seriously i'll just take queen of the damned and go i don't i think it had some still had some like interesting points and everything 
like the Italians in Brooklyn because there is like tension between Italians and black people in Brooklyn. I thought that was an interesting point that he was bringing up. When he was the pastor, I thought it was kind of an interesting point when she was like, I wanted to talk to someone that I could trust. And she starts talking to him and talking about all the bad dreams and all the weird stuff that's going on. And then he goes in the church, he can't step in and he's like, let's just do it on the lawn. And so I thought it was an interesting metaphor of like how authority figures aren't always trustworthy, particularly yeah. when they're male. Ass is good. Right. I know many of y'all may be saying, how the preacher stand up and saying ass is good. How y'all think y'all got here? If it wasn't for ass, you wouldn't be here. Ass is good. Evil is good and ass is good. And if you get you a piece of evil ass, whoo! That whole preacher speech was like, was like very much a commentary on like the black church and like the power that we give people in the church to just like do whatever and be shady behind the scenes and like say whatever and people just smile and nod. I thought, I thought, I think it could have been serious, but I think that the social commentary that they were making was better served in the comedy parts. Otherwise it runs the risk of becoming Blackula and just being bad. You know what I mean? Because it tried too hard to be serious. So much Blackula slander. I didn't hate Blackula. I liked Blackula for what it was, and that is located in the 70s where it should stay. What did you think about, like, the undertones of, like, Rita being very religious and going to church and not being very sexual versus her roommate being, like, very promiscuous and flirty? And then her roommate died and she obviously did not. That gave me, like, um... In terms of Patricia Collins stereotypes of black women images in media, that gave me like the Jezebel trope, but very obviously. And I couldn't tell if it was like aware or not aware, you know, like consciously like, oh, we're going to show you a a stereotype of black women or like we're doing it because it's written by a black man. I don't know how woke Eddie Murphy is. You know what I'm saying? So I couldn't really I couldn't really think what I thought of that because mostly because because of the comedy format I was a bit like I don't know if this is ironic or not she wasn't just like hypersexual she was also just quite mean and wasn't a good friend so I feel like they just made her all around like portrayed as a really terrible character I made a note of colorism but I couldn't remember where I wrote like dark skin villain versus light skin love interest which yeah. is also something that happened in Blackula yeah um yeah, I mean, it's just, like, just because they are commenting on some things doesn't mean they, like, they miss, you yeah. know? They miss. Also, they made that na- man's name Justice as a cop. Yeah. <laughs> Do we think that this is a fatal attraction story? I don't think she's attracted. I read, like, one criticism, which was, like, actually, this movie just, like, it has quite a shallow interpretation of um, Angela's character because she doesn't really like him until he's yeah. he's like i'm gonna pick you up in my limo and like i'm gonna read you the flat and this will attract you and it has like a kind of like point on that i don't know i did think it was a little bit shallow hear me out okay. <laughs> this doesn't necessarily have to do with this movie but in pride and prejudice i feel like elizabeth didn't like mr darcy until she went to his house and saw she, he was rich and this is the same That's true, thing but also like, same that is also true of bella until she went to edward's house uh i think <laughs> Everyone just has the right idea. (laughs) Speaking of, can we talk about I love the lore of half-human, half-vampires? Like, the way Angela is the original Renesmee, she is the moment. (laughs) And she's not a CGI baby. (laughs) Yeah, way better. Did you guys, like, ship her with justice? No. Because I did not. I was like, this is boring. Maximilian had that line which was like, you need to take everything away that she has so that you can be there to give, like, everything that she needs and that's like the art of seduction and i was like you know what 
I would love that to be like a parody of his evilness, but I feel like so many men think that way. Like break it down. That's like classic manipulator behavior, but that's just what he did because like he had a plot afoot. It had nothing to do with <laughs> her. Like I like I think if he had known her or known anything about her or was genuinely interested in her beyond the plot, I think he would have like ac- maybe actually tried to seduce her, but because this was uh, time sensitive for one it was more it was like largely not about her it was just about like fulfilling whatever prophecy he thought he had to do i thought that and and it was comedy that it was more about scheming than it was about romance which is entertaining to watch at least i just wish that the romance had been at least enjoyable <laughs> yeah yeah i guess like I wasn't really rooting for her injustice either because like you guys said it was just like the way she flipped on things like they had such obvious communication issues she was a scorpio that's why she would not even let him speak facts like she was just like facts. i know you slept with my roommate he was like what and then she like slapped him okay you guys are gonna fight about petty fucking shit so i don't see this lasting yeah also they weren't even in a relationship so she technically couldn't be yeah. angry I, I mean, I guess, like, you you would be disappointed if you had a crush on someone and they slept with your roommate, but, like... No, I feel like that's a boundary crossed, like, if you've been, if you've been flirting. But I don't know if they were, like, if he was a, if they were flirting or if it was just, like, a mutual, like, we like each other. And then when they had, like, that, when she was like, yeah, this wouldn't be the first time she took something of mine. I was like, this is just a lie. Like, you and this man need to talk. You clearly hate your roommate. <laughs> <laughs> like she's, you clearly a error. Like you need to have a lot of conversations with a lot of people in your life, Rita. This was not working. What did we think of the vampire lore um, guy with the scar on his face? I love how they have to have those in horror movies when they're like, oh, we can't really like explain this plot without having some random person who happens to know it. <laughs> uh, they need to go to a specialist to find out more information. That always makes me laugh. It feels so like when you play video games and it's like, go to this tavern and speak to this person for more secrets on how to complete the quest. <laughs> I mean, how like would that. you handle the situation? I would Google it and then find an expert. But to be fair, I feel like that's a common trope in films, isn't it? To have like, A, it's also usually a person of color to have like like someone there to explain the lore that can be tracked back to like the Middle East or like Africa. And they always like, yeah, I feel like that's quite common. No, sometimes it's common in real life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> sure. I mean, we can talk about his little like henchman man who was rotting. What about him? I don't know. I feel like honestly, he was he was a big part of what made this a comedy. Without yeah, him, it would have been true. less funny. Comic relief in the comedy. Yeah. Yeah, comic yeah. Well, cuz sometimes you would you would forget. I guess you can kind of see in this film the struggle between Wes Craven and Eddie Murphy's vision because yeah, why would you need a comic relief within the comedy? I feel like you can tell that Eddie Murphy was like trying to be like dark and sexy and mysterious and it just was like it not coming through i think if this was like a different actor it probably would have came off a lot like more sexy and mysterious but if if wes craven's vision was that it be a comedy i feel like he cast eddie murphy on purpose and then eddie murphy showed up ready to act serious and he was like what the fuck
Spring, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, follows Evan on a grief-induced move to Italy following the death of his mother. Evan's trip is suddenly transformed into something much greater when he falls in love with Louise, a graduate student in the city. It's a story of boy meets girl, but girl has a big monstrous secret. Um, one last thing you should know. Right before I transform, if, if I transform, that monster is gonna be the biggest and sharpest. How big? Just run really fast. I really like this movie. I thought it was very romantic. Ew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll explain because at the ending scene where like she keeps reiterating that she the last transformation she makes before they find out if she's going to stay human or to rebirth herself is going to be like the scariest and she could kill him. He still sits there with her anyway and he just wants to spend what could be his last moments on earth with her. And I think it's like love is allowing yourself the ability to get hurt but trusting that the other person loves you too much to do it i thought that was a nice metaphor and it just felt so romantic also it felt like he actually had like a genuine interest in her and when he like comes in and she's in the like slug tentacle creature and he gives her the shot that turns her back human rather than like being super freaked out he sits at the table and lets her explain he goes to see her family and the pompeii exhibit and just takes like such a genuine interest in her life and i think it really separates her from like fetishizing her as like oh this hot italian girl to like this very complex human creature who he actually just genuinely appreciates and wants to spend his life with no matter if it means he's gonna die in a couple hours or if they get to live together forever but they only knew each other five days they did i thought it was nice and romantic and so predictable not the romance parts of it but the horror parts of it like 10 minutes in i was like she's dropping hints that she's immortal she's dropping hints that she's <laughs> 1000 years old like like that was very clear <laughs> they were they were not subtle about that and then like i think 30 minutes in my roommate was like it's persephone it was very obvious from the start so like from that i think the rest of it was very enjoyable because it's like ah oh, we're piecing it together and i already know what's happening and it's it it felt like a rom-com i would say it's i liked it i did like it i um it was my favorite of the bunch this this episode you're right taya i did not <laughs> i did not vibe with evan let me tell you, I think he's just such a typical nice guy trope, and they have all the lads at the beginning of the movie, um, which they try to, like, offset to be like, well, Evan is different. And I just kind of, in general, hate when films do that, because I feel like if you're a nice guy who hangs out with those, like, gross derogatory men, then are you really? Like, you, you can judge someone by the company that they keep. So I kind of just, in general, didn't really like that. And another critic, again, on the Roger Egbert website, um, Simon a Abrams, points out that, like, Evan also accuses her of being a sex worker, like, instantly upon meeting her, just like the obnoxious tourist, American tourist, who offers to, like, pay for sex or something, who assumes that she's a sex worker in the street, um, and then tries to, like, assault her afterwards when she's, like, having this transition breakdown thing. So I was like, yeah, there are some definite parallels there. I'm not entirely convinced. And a line that floored me was when he, like, said he'd give up smoking 
if she gave up her immortality. I was like, do you remember in Sex in the City when Aiden wanted Carrie to quit smoking and then she dropped her cigarette in the gutter and then she like ripped it and still smoked it? Sometimes it's that serious for people. You never know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like it's realistic that men would expect that, but you're like, no, it is. That is a genuine sacrifice, Louise. <laughs> this is coming from the smoker of the group. Yeah, okay. What did you make? Didn't she like approach Evan first and like basically offer him sex which I thought at that point it was kind of valid to assume that she was trying to get him to pay because she like approaches him because she wanted just wanted it to be like casual she didn't want the emotional aspect she just wanted to be reborn again and have her next life so I I think in his case I feel like it was like a valid assumption that maybe she was uh soliciting him for paid sexual relations i do have to say that the english characters spot Mm. on i said the real horror is white tourism that was my (laughs) very first note (laughs) honestly that is so valid especially in like the times of covid because all of them keep going everywhere (laughs) on vacation like first it was like italy and spain even though they were hit super hard during covid and then they were like let's all go to dubai (laughs) i didn't know where And now they keep trying to go to Mexico and I'm like, stop spreading Corona to other places that you can go on vacation, you psychos. Fuck you all if you're listening. Stop listening. (laughs) Stop listening. Stay at home, get a hobby, buy some mask online, buy some chocolate and sit in your room and listen to the monstrous feminine instead of going on vacation. It's a better substitute anyway. And it's free. Zabie, you said that it was the horror narrative was quite predictable. Um, which I didn't mind so much is that they tried to like explain it with a lot of scientific grounding, which I think made it less enjoyable when they kept like trying to give it some sort of realness. Oh, I liked it. I liked that. I thought it was I thought it was very Creed-esque because Creed also talks about like how menstruation was and like things like that were associated with like witchcraft and how natural bodily like, for example, that disease that she even says in the film, Louise in the film, she says porphyria was associated with vampirism. And then, yeah, so Creed also talks about how, like, things about women's body that men didn't understand were, like, made into supernatural conditions. So I kind of, I kind of enjoyed the scientific element of it, of, like, oh, maybe we're just in misinterpreting, or what we perceive to be supernatural is just our lack of understanding or limited understanding of science. This giant squid were myths until one washed up on a beach. People used to think people with rabies and porphyria were vampires, but that doesn't mean vampires are real. It means science hadn't caught up with the myth. And even if I knew I'm supernatural, it doesn't prove anything about... Fear of the unknown makes a lot of really pretty stuff, though. But am I wrong that it incorporated the myth of Persephone? Like, it definitely did, because it's called spring, and Persephone is like the goddess of spring. And, like, the whole war of it is that she gets, like, sold basically to Hades to, like, be his wife. Um, and she come and she comes up in the spring and that's when she, like, gets to be, like, a person. And everything she touches, like, turns to flowers and things. like. So I thought that was some sort of supernatural element. But the whole exchange of it is that she's, like, low-key a demon and she likes being married to Hades. And that she, like, is also really attracted to, like, 
the darkness, the rotting, the underworld aspect of things. And then when they were like in the in the museum and they were looking at like the different uh, incarnations that she's taken, I was so sure that it was the Persephone myth. There were aspects of it. I think they were trying to apply science to like her body specifically, but I thought that the overall plot was not, if not supernatural, some sort of like mythic or, uh, you know, otherworldly aspect to it. But I don't think you dismiss it in making it science. I think it was more like trying to marry the two in a way that was like harmonious kind of thing. It's not that I didn't like that it tried to do it. I think that it just didn't feel convincing enough. And I'm not a scientist, so if it can't convince me, who is dumb? Oh. You're not dumb. You understood possession. Dumb in science. Yeah, I was about to say, you only understand things when they're vague as fuck. <laughs> There's one thing I did write down from the film, because it annoyed me that it was part of the script. He mentions that he likes the way she looks because she looks healthy. And he's like, I don't want someone anorexic. I don't want someone obese. I like healthy. And it just really rubbed me the wrong way because, I mean, for obvious reasons, that like makes no sense. So I don't know why that was included. It seemed like... Because he's a nice guy. That's what I mean. Like some of the dialogue like really catered towards that nice guy image that like now we can look at and realize that it's just like different versions of misogyny. He was he was very obviously a fuckwit to me, which (laughs) which made it like 2000 years you've been on this earth and this is the man that's supposed to change it. This deadbeat. What does he have to offer? He really didn't know because he was working on a form. It's not the profession. It's the attitude. And like, he's so passive that he gets himself into like different. I mean, but he wasn't like a farmer. It was like he was freeloading off of man's farm. And I think making maybe like 70 euro a week. Like he couldn't get a legal job because he would have to. He'd have to like go through visa and immigration and then he was in trouble. Right. So I I wasn't necessarily judging that life choice. Um, I was more judging in general. You weren't judging the fact that he was running for the police and hiding on the underground. I know. I judge it because he didn't have to. Like, here's the thing is what bugged me from the get is why are you running to Italy? Like, is it really that serious? Is it really? Like, from that point onwards, I'm like, okay, so you had enough privilege you could, like, uproot your life and just, like, start over and do whatever. Uh, yeah, he's mad annoying. <laughs> Other people who who overstay their visas, fine. But he really did not need to be there. He didn't. Also, I'm confused about, like, when his friend was like, yeah, your mom died, but you know what you can do? Get some free sympathy sex. And I was like, do people really fuck you because your parents died? I don't know. I think they just had all these awful men in the in the beginning in order to make evan seem nice and i'm like why don't just write a nice man like if you need a a horrible guy in order to make a nice guy like i don't think you're doing it right i don't think male writers are typically good at writing nice men because they're not nice men and so like (laughs) their perception of what is a nice guy is like i would totally say this and i'm a nice dude and so this is right. And um, they don't really take a second to think about maybe they're not the best person. I did like that this film is like a woman using a man to uh, get immortality. Instead of like the other way around, it was like her using men for power and also like sex for rebirth instead of like sex and death. But I can imagine if you had lived for 2000 years, became human, and then you broke up with this dude because like, I mean, she knew him for five days 
And I think you can love people, but you don't necessarily love them forever. <laughs> um, so maybe like in that moment when she was meant to transform back into a new version of herself and be immortal, she did love Evan. But like maybe in six months, she won't love Evan, but she's stuck being human now. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of seems like it sucks. I'm glad you said sex, rebirth, sex, death, because I was like, strong, archaic mother vibes again. We have, similar to Raw, we have another inherited sort of, um, well, Raw was like an inherited craving, but this is like an inherited sort of genetic condition that makes her literally i mean if if in the original creed when she talks about the archaic mother and she talks about like how the father is at threat to be reincorporated or something it's literally kind of like that because she's using their cells to sort of their sorry their cells the embryonic cells that they give her to sort of remake her own image and i was like this is monstrous uh femme at its finest and she has a castrating trope which really just drives it home that it's uh the archaic mother vibes here it's just that he was so unspecial he was so unremarkable it's that like if you only have to choose a person every however long you have to do it it just felt like is it because he was an easy target is that it he wasn't even easy (laughs) he was giving her too many stipulations he wasn't even slutty he was like you need to go on a date with me before we can do anything i didn't even mention that in my evan slander how pushy he was like when someone says no (laughs) if someone honestly to be fair I, i if someone said no i'd be like wounded ego in and of myself like i would not then push it and be like no and keep asking i'd be like okay that's it why would you keep pushing it he really wanted that date apparently also kudos to her for getting a phd during all of this it seemed like a rough time what in 2000 years yeah well fucking i done. wish i had that fucking extension a bit while she was going through gen- genetic difficulties this is how like male screenwriters write men that they think women will like sacrifice immortality for yeah true I had two, like, things about that, whereas, like, in the same way, possession might just be a metaphor for, like, how women who commit adultery are monstrous. In this film, it's kind of like, women who don't want to be settled down in love mothers are made to be monstrous. She even says, like, right before she has um, her final transformation, where she reabsorbs the cells um, into her body and lives... Um, she has the most monstrous formation, so I was like, okay, so it seems like the final punishment. Or a metaphor for, like, getting your crazy girlfriend knocked up with, like, the emphasis on hormones and her body is changing and she's so erratic and she has a secret. And, blah, and then he, and the way he tells her and how he calls his, like, other deadbeat friend being like, oh, I've gotten... And he literally just says, I've gotten a girl pregnant. Um, it's just, like... It could just all, like, honestly, it could have just been a metaphor for that. Um, and she, the way she talks about herself isn't even necessarily um, supernatural. I wrote down the line. She's, she said that she's half undiscovered science, a bunch of confusing chemistry, and some crazy hormones. It just <laughs> seems like this is making a horror out of, like, you know, the mis- perceived mysteries of the woman's body or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her reincorporation period could have been literally her period because... I know emotionally I turn into a lot of different monsters during my period. Ty, you're so right, though. Her cosmic period. 
Kind of. But instead of, uh, you know, shedding the uterine lining and all the stuff that we don't use when we don't get pregnant, she reabsorbs it into her body, you know, because she made the baby. This all comes back to period sex being a love spell. If you're saying she's having her cosmic period right now, I feel like it has the same effect, maybe. The men are, like, always in love with her because Um... from what I interpreted, that farmer whose farm he was staying at was one of her, like, past partners. I think he was the one that she stayed with where she was like, yeah, I stayed with one of them for like a couple of years i believe the farmer was the one that she stayed with for a couple of years and he still had like a picture of what she looked like then um and he was like yeah like i had someone a while ago and i never have been with anyone else so i think they're actually meant to like have some sort of feelings with her forever after she, even after she pieces out so yeah that would be a love so the parts that were most romantic to me were when her face is falling off and he doesn't care or he just like hey hey hun you got a little something i thought that was cute <laughs> oh my god cute. you know how part of that discussion of like the logistics of her changing um or not changing for him and she was basically saying how if she changes um into a new form it's with half of his DNA and so they couldn't be together because it would be incest. Was she trying to deter him just through incest alone of this? And that's a pretty good deterrent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think he wasn't understanding what she was saying because she was like trying to tell him like, well, like what happens is I basically find a dude, I have sex with him, and then I transform into what would be our baby as an adult. Can she have a child? She can when she chooses mortality. I mean, honestly, is this really the worst thing ever? Like, if this was what every woman's superpower was, like, you got to be immortal until you found the dude that you wanted to settle down with, that no. would actually not be so terrible. No, Taya, that dude. makes my, that means that I'd have to be Taya, straight. I would have given up, I would have given up my immortality so many times already for people I thought were the one and very much weren't. Like, I can't be, that, I can't have that responsibility. The ending is just like Shrek because it's you do true love's kiss and then take love's true form. That's what I was thinking oh about. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't want my life to revolve around finding someone I love. It sounds, in hindsight, no. And you also have to take half their DNA. Yeah. Like, that alone. Yeah, that, okay, okay, that takes away the appeal. <laughs> that takes away the appeal, because then you have to choose too wisely. I would treat it like a sperm bank, like, what genetic illnesses do you have? Like, predisposition for anything? Taya, you only date above six feet. I would be a very tall woman. Selective breeding, you'd get that. Also, like, how many times has she changed ethnicity? In all the pictures she showed of her past self, she's like, that's me, that's me, that's me. She but was she's white. like pretty tan at this point in time. But she could have got with like an Indian guy, a black guy in the 90s, and it's still, still <laughs> there. In the 90s? In the 90s? That's, <laughs> that's when everyone was doing it. To be fair, I was born in 1996. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Do you remember that National Geographic cover that was like, this is what the average human will look like in 100 years, and it's just like a beige person? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just hire an Italian actress. Is she not Italian? What is she? German. You can kind of hear she it. She has a weird accent. I thought it was a Pompeii accent. I just accepted it. <laughs> Same. I was like, oh, this, it's just like a, an ancient Greek accent that they gave her. Some dialect. <laughs> yeah. Some Italian dialect. Like, I don't know. Can I just say, I was really disappointed that they made the backdrop of this film Italy and like food did not play any real sort of role. Like, how can you make a film in Italy and not make at least one 
intensive dinner scene, some sort of food scene. I kind of like that it didn't romanticize Italy. But it did. I thought it looked very pretty. Mila, it looked beautiful. What are you talking about? Are you kidding? The lighting, it looked gloomy as hell. It looked like a cottagecore fantasy. I was here for it. Yeah. Even when we saw the castrated guy scene, all I could think was, but look at that beautiful cave scene, like overlooking that water. <laughs> I was like, this is gorgeous. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Women and be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Women Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts to be our next Witch of the Week. We also have a TikTok. Follow us at The Monstrous Feminine for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out.